Welcome to the Storyline Podcast, where we are talking to global leaders about God's global mission. Great to have you with us today on the Storyline Podcast. My name is Kirby, and I'm in Moscow right now. And I get to spend time with a friend of mine here. His name is Jim. And uh, Jim and I have been traveling together and serving together for the last two years, uh, primarily serving in Ukraine and Russia. And uh, we've been meeting with uh, directors of various denominations who are responsible for missions and foreign mission sending. I mean, really the last 25 years, primarily Russia and Ukraine has received missionaries. Uh, but something's happening. There's, a, there's something changing uh, among the culture, the Christian culture in these countries where they're saying, you know what, we no longer need to be a receiving country. We want to be a sending country. We want to be a participant in what God's doing around the world as we try to reach unreached people who still haven't received the good news about Jesus Christ. And so uh, Jim has uh, so much experience in this part of the world, and uh, I thought you would enjoy hearing his perspective on uh, his ministry over the past two decades, uh, but what he sees as the future and the possibilities of the church in Russia and Ukraine. Let's get started. Great. Well, hey, everybody. This is Kirby, and I'm sitting here with a good friend of mine. His name is Jim Overton. And in the last 24 months, Jim and I have traveled throughout Russia and Ukraine probably eight or nine times together. Uh, serving together and uh, in those travels who just got to know each other and talk about uh, what God's doing in this part of the world. So looking forward to you get a chance to meet, meeting Jim and getting to know more about him and his thoughts about what's happening in the global church. But uh, Jim, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I really came to give my life to Jesus as a junior hire, and I really understood that he probably was going to have something for me to do that was special, although it could have been something very mundane. And I just decided that I would, whatever he picked would be the best for me, even if it was me just being the janitor at the church, uh, that he would fill my life with something that was special for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, long through college, I was really an excited believer, happy to share my faith, and got involved with the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. And, okay, yeah. Yeah, had spent some time in a U.S. Uh, summer outreach a summer project at Lake Tahoe, and going into my junior year, I was at a, uh, well, it was the end of my sophomore year, at a Christmas conference, mm-hmm. and one of the speakers there, his name was Paul Eshelman, he'd been the producer for the Jesus film, and he was speaking to us uh, on uh, New Year's Eve, and one of the uh, his concluding thoughts that really wasn't connected to his whole talk, he said, do you realize that there are places in the world where people have, they're unreached by the gospel? and that we still have a huge need to go out to these unreached peoples. We didn't explain anything about it. I went to bed and I was just fascinated by the whole idea and thought, where in the world could it be that no one has ever heard of Jesus? And I had it kind of in my head. It had to be probably in the communist world where they were, uh, there wasn't freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Um, lo and behold, the next morning I got an envelope asking me to come to a confidential briefing and I was proposed the opportunity to be part of a team of tourists that would go to the Soviet Union uh, the following summer uh, and meet people and do our best to communicate the gospel of Jesus mm-hmm. with the people we met. And that I had thought that the next summer I was going to be working as an intern, maybe as a financial planner, mm-hmm. but I decided if the Lord wants me to give one more summer, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And 
about midway through my summer of visiting the Soviet Union, I strongly sensed the Lord breaking through to me in a very specific way, saying that he was calling me to the people in this country who couldn't possibly hear the gospel. I wasn't really very informed. In fact, I was kind of your uh, not fully rounded uh, American youth that I wasn't able to distinguish the difference between Ukraine and Russia in the Soviet Union. I wasn't really aware that the Soviet Union had tremendous amount of ethnic diversity and that not all the Soviets were Russians. Hmm. But uh, after that calling happened, I returned and began to get interested in, well, how, how is missions done? And I got introduced to the U.S. Center for World Mission and um, made a visit there and then began to take the perspectives course. And I began to understand, well, the Great Commission is about making disciples of nations and that the greatest barrier to hearing the gospel isn't an atheistic government. It's when there is no one in your language or culture who knows Jesus and that there's no scripture in your language. There's no gospel proclamation in your language. Um, And then my eyes are opened and I see the Soviet Union has more than 127 different language groups, many of them with no known evangelical Christians. And I was uh, really, again, tremendously shocked of the great mission need remaining. Yeah, and this is in the 1980s, right? Yeah, so by the time uh, I've graduated from college, I'm beginning to get this better idea and I'm beginning to really study the ethnic people groups of the Soviet Union and I got tapped to join Campus Crusade's Soviet team to help them with their accounting and to travel and so uh, beginning in 1988 Mm -hmm. I was traveling to the Soviet Union four times a year Mm -hmm. and then uh, in 1989 it worked out for me to have a full one-year visa to be in Moscow as a language student. Um, And in this uh, time, I'm learning more and more about the ethnic diversity of Russia Mm -hmm. and beginning to realize learning a language is really hard. I think it's going to take me the rest of my life to finish learning Russian. Right. Um, How long would it take me to learn my third language, say maybe Mm -hmm. Uzbek or Kazakh? And then to learn the language to be successful and seeing disciples multiplying in churches planting. And I thought to myself, I'll never get through 127 languages. Yeah, right. But the U.S. Center had planted in my mind the idea that there's one thing you can do that's sometimes more strategic than going, mm-hmm. and that is mobilizing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. getting others to go. Yeah. Because you, if you are a really gifted person, you might be able to go succeed in a church planting movement in one language, learn a second language, and succeed twice. But that's a whole 30, 40-year career, and that's only the most successful would have two successes in one lifetime. Sure, sure. But a mobilizer could send out hundreds of teams in a lifetime. Uh, and amongst them, there could be successes in multiple languages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And at that point, I started to make a shift in my understanding that I would work to try to reignite the foreign mission potential of Russian Protestant churches, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and particularly that I would focus on the Russian Baptist Church Mm -hmm. and to see them re-establish their mission-sending ability and to particularly grow in their ability and desire to send out cross-cultural missionaries to unreached people groups 
within the Soviet Union or former Soviet Union and to the whole world, wherever God would call them to for their specialty. And so really since 1991, that has been my primary focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so decades on now. Yeah, right, right. I, mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear you being inspired by what you thought was just an atheistic world, mm-hmm. uh, the Soviet Union, uh, only to then have God kind of show you, no, it's really about all these peoples. It's about the, the different people group and different languages and cultures that live within, at that time, the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And so to have you sort of be inspired by, well, what's my role in reaching them and how can I be a missionary to those people? Uh, but then to see that sort of shift in you, yeah. it seems like it was kind of early on that it shifted uh, within the first, you know, five or ten years. I don't know how long you'd already sort of begin to acclimate yourself to missionary life and trying to share Christ with Russians. You, I don't know if you thought of them as sort of white, Slavic, Caucasian people at that time. Mm-hmm. But then you went through a shift going, no, but there's all these other peoples, the Uzbeks and the Tajik and the uh, Kazakhs, and there's all these people. So um, fascinating to see you make that shift. My work with Campus Crusades team allowed me to travel a lot, and I got a chance to visit a tremendous number of the republics of the Soviet Union. So it's this traveling that that really lets you see the realities that these people groups exist. Yeah, and that it would be great to be reading Operation World and praying for Kyrgyz people and saying, reading, there's only three known Kyrgyz. And then on a trip, we'd see seven new believers, and you think, okay, that's like we just tripled the number of believers, known believers <laughs> in this people group, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but saying, okay. Lord, among in front of millions, that really is such a small thing. But let it happen. Mm-hmm. Or there's different times where I would be reading a prayer guide and praying for an unreached ethnic minority of the Soviet Union. Yeah. And within a week, I would meet someone who was a first fruits from among that people. And being able to encourage that person, usually the people who are first fruits really get the brunt of rejection and persecution, to not give up, to not just let yourself be assimilated and become a Russian, but to be the apostle back to your own people, to let them know that God loves your language, God loves your culture, you don't really need to Stop being an avar or a tabasuran. You can be a redeemed follower of Jesus, but retain everything that there is true about tabasuran culture, except for that which immediately competes with the person and the lordship of Jesus, which is quite a small number of things. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, let me ask you this: You used a word a minute ago. Use the word mobilizer. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure everybody listening to the podcast right now and maybe knows what that term is or conceptually, what does that look like? What is a mobilizer within the church? How mm-hmm. would you define that for people? Well, uh, if you could think about a mobilizer, it can be anything from someone who trains in a missionary skill or just alerts mm-hmm. or awakens. Mm-hmm. Very often the church is uh, just not aware that, okay, there is an entire language group, they don't have a single verse of Scripture or a single uh, Christian, and that there's something that you can do about it. You can do something about it right now by praying. You can do something about it right now by underwriting the cost of a Bible translator. Mm -hmm. You can do something about it right now if you begin to move towards uh, being a sent one, mm-hmm. or finding out who is already trying to be sent and join their support team. Yeah. 
That's one of the things that I love the most about the uh, Living Story curriculum, Kirby, is that uh, it has the five habits of world Christians uh, in it. And it's the main thrust is that when people go through this curriculum that you've developed, uh, the curriculum really lays out five different ways that people can respond. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to get up and actually go to be uh, to be involved there's four other ways that you could make an impact in the unreached and this type of tool is just uh gets a super grip it's it's like you've invented a new rake that's four times better than any rake that's ever raked leaves before (laughs) and so a mobilizer is like like a gardener out there raking he's gathering in the resources the prayer the offerings the candidates to the mission agencies or the people who would say gee there actually are Uyghurs living in the united states we don't even have to get a visa to share the gospel with them we just have to get friendly they could be in your own neighborhood Right, right. Uh, and hopefully you find out that they're there and you reach out to them in time. Mm-hmm. With the Boston Marathon bombing, it was so heartbreaking to hear the testimony of the Chechens that were involved. And they said, I can't say that in all the years I've lived in America, I had a single American I could call my friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas we are trying our best to find any crazy way to communicate the gospel to Chechens living in their homeland evangelical Christians were living within stone's throw for nearly a decade and they didn't hear the message of love and forgiveness and they then began to become discouraged and picked up a message that moved them in a different direction. Yeah. No, I appreciate you helping us maybe understand a little bit about mobilization and I do like that example of the rake, mm-hmm. right? Somebody that's mobilizing is going, okay, we just we need resources, we need people to be sent we need uh, people to pray for people groups where they're unreached who don't know about Jesus. They maybe don't have a Bible in their translation. There's no church gathering there within mm-hmm. their, uh, their, their group. Um, and so that's a really helpful analogy to help people know kind of what is this. And it sounds like you've kind of gone through a bit of a trans- transition in your life where you're like, yeah, there's great needs in Russia. How can I meet that need? Mm-hmm. Only to find out, wait a minute, there's over 100 different ethnic groups in Russia there's more needs to meet than I even imagined. Mm-hmm. And so I, as a single missionary, am kind of limited. But if I maybe put on this role of being a mobilizer and saying, okay, God, how could you find people and resources to start going after all these different ethnic groups that that's what you're doing right now yes. in your ministry? So that um, after 20 years of living in Russia, mm-hmm. more than 15 married, uh, raising a family. We, uh, four years ago, moved back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. to uh, best meet some special needs in our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that time, uh, Pioneers, the agency that I serve with, uh, had an opening, particularly in the area of a team called Encountering the World of Islam. Mm-hmm. Encountering the World of Islam is a mobilization curriculum, very similar to uh, uh, Living Story. Our storyline. Sto- storyline. Story uh, Living Story is the Russian uh, yeah, title right, for right. it. Yeah, right, right. Historia in Russian. Uh, is, uh-huh. In English, it's storyline. It's a storyline. It helps you teach it to churches, and it gives them information and techniques to how to begin to overcome your fear of Muslims, how to build a positive friendship relationship and to not end up into a debate with the Muslim, but uh, a relationship of trust that you could be useful for sharing the message of God's love in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's so that they said, Jim, our textbook has been translated into Russian, but we don't have anyone to oversee its integration. Mm-hmm. And we know that you know, after more than 20 years, a great number of Russian Protestant leaders and leaders in mission. Would you help us get this curriculum integrated and to find national instructors who could teach it? Mm-hmm. And so for the last four years, I've been working on that. Yeah. Uh, but my boss is pretty good. He lets me actually moonlight in the background to keep working on strategic issues mm-hmm. that would uh, enable the acceleration of mission sending from Russian Protestant churches. Mm-hmm. Particularly, they're trying to rebuild the personnel process you would need to select missionaries uh, to discover how they could gather funds and distribute funds in an accounting uh, way that uh, so that missionaries could be sent and supported going to uh, cross-cultural, foreign, and domestic unreached people groups. And we're seeing some breakthroughs in that happening, even in these years. And uh, that's what we're here in Moscow for a conference with the Russian Baptist Union uh, talking about these very subjects. Which is really a unique conference that you and I are attending right now this Mm -hmm. week. Uh, It's the first of its kind in Russia where a large number of pastors and church leaders have gathered around this topic or premise of how do we reach the unreached with the gospel, those who have no opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ, how do we as Russian Christians, how do we participate in that and what is God calling us to? Um, yeah. Maybe there are other moments in history, uh, but well, it, it does seem like this is a the beginning or birthing of something new. So this is like a rebirth because it's not exactly true that it's the first of its kind. Uh, in 1885, Baptists were just starting to multiply and churches were just beginning to be planted in southern Russia, which is modern-day Ukraine. Yep. And they called together a conference of about 30 churches. It was the first conference of the first meeting of the Russian Baptist Union. Mm-hmm. And in the agenda of that conference... All of the agenda items were missiological items. Mm-hmm. How to call, how to commission, and how to support uh, missionaries that were to go into new regions. They weren't far flung, they weren't yet cross-cultural, but they were places where evangelical awakening had not yet opened and happened, and how to plant that. Yeah. So that the whole purpose of the gathering of the Russian Baptist Union historically was mission in its core. Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing today is actually a return to roots, a rebirth of the initial intention of the first Congress of the Russian Baptist Union. Mm -hmm. And I think this is very strategic time. Mm -hmm. And there is a big need for Protestants to grow in just personal evangelism, church multiplication, Uh, not even speaking of cross-cultural mission. But uh, I do believe that being a minority religious presence, you're not part of a big government monolithic power like orthodoxy, that gives you better credibility when you're talking to another minority group. Mm -hmm. And to say we're not here to bring you into... Uh, assimilate you into the majority culture. We're here to bring you God's dignity that is for your culture, for your language. We're not going to strip your language or your culture from you. We're bringing you a regeneration. Yeah, which from this part of the world you have to be sensitive to because it is as if the Russian power sort of has colonized people in Mm -hmm. this region. And to be able to say, no, that's not who we are and why we're coming. We have a different purpose. It's 
to love you, and I, I'm, I'm kind of one of you. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not a part of. The gospel is for all nations. I don't want to speak down on any majority people right. group because at home I'm in majority people group. Mm-hmm. But I want to see that uh, dignity is given to each language and people, mm-hmm. whether it be a majority or a minority people group. The gospel is for them all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fascinating, Jim. Uh, just to see your journey for 30 years in this part of the world, uh, to get kind of an envelope under the door inviting you to this... <laughs> Uh, you know, interesting briefing time about what if, you know, what if a group of us were sent uh, to Russia to see what God might do uh, as we go. And now 30 years later to see you going, okay, well, now how do we really mobilize these uh, Russian Christians into mm-hmm. God's heart for the nations and to be a part of that mission? Uh, man, what a journey. Yeah. And I just, I just want to tell you here that I really appreciate uh, our friendship and you've taught me a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. introduced me to a lot of the people here doing significant work. I'm really grateful for your friendship and the partnership we have in ministry. Uh, last question I just want to ask, you know, what's, what is God doing in your heart right now? Or what are you most excited about your relationship with God? And, you know, what does that look like in his mission? Anything you can share with us? Mm, I just uh, think I uh, sense a desire to uh, say a word of encouragement to prayer people. Okay. So uh, all this was happening and uh, the church I was attending as a college student, there was a grandma who seemed kind of friendly towards me, uh, but I didn't really know it. She was praying for me. She had been called as a missionary through China Inland Mission, OMF, in 1949, and had been in China and been trapped behind uh, Red Army lines. Wow. Uh, Had uh, a long uh, career in missions, uh, but she'd never married, never had any kids. And I think that whole process of being called to that briefing was really being undergirded. And uh, she was praying for me. And then later kind of said, I think that you need to think about long-term missions. And she sort of mentored me towards that direction. She was the one who said, hey, here's the phone number for the U.S. Center for World Mission. You ought to go down there and visit. Uh, and uh, so I'm very thankful uh, for that prayer coverage that came from uh, she was not the first person you would think of as the most influential person at the church when you walked in the door Mm -hmm. she was closer to the end of that line Mm -hmm. but uh, I just sensed that my calling is from the Lord but it came in response to prayer of godly faithful people mm-hmm. um, and people that probably would not get the Hall of Fame front cover of Christianity today uh, but end up changing the world through their unique piece that's put just in at the right time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now thanks for the encouragement you're right there does seem to be kind of maybe the missionary world and church sort of all-stars that are the missionaries and the pastor brings them on stage and people put their hands on them and pray for them and mm-hmm. uh, like you said that uh, that's that's those aren't the only contributors to what yeah. god's doing around the world that there are faithful men and women who pray for what god's doing in the world and pray for missionaries and so thank you for your encouragement to them i know mm-hmm. that uh, they need that today somebody's probably listening and wants to know that they're really playing a significant role by praying about what god's doing don't give up don't give in <laughs> well, look, I just want to say thanks so much. I appreciate your time. It's been fascinating just to hear your story and what you've been doing all these years. Uh, so thanks, Jim. All right, Kirby. Praise the Lord for his goodness. May his kingdom come to all nations. Amen. Amen. 
Well, fascinating conversation today. I'm glad you were with us on today's podcast. Hey, listen, if you have been joining us on our podcast from someplace in the world, um, we can see that there are people listening to the Storyline podcast in Japan and in Canada and Germany and France, uh, just a global audience for this podcast. We would love to hear from you. How have these conversations uh, helped move you forward in considering missions from your country? Send us a message at info at storylinemissions.org. That is info at storylinemissions.org. We would love to hear from our global audience about how this podcast is impacting you and your thoughts about missions. Thanks.